Well, good evening, everybody. It's so good to see all of you. As Drew said, my name is Chris Ward. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And just one quick announcement uh, before we dive into God's Word together. We are going to be taking communion at the end of our service today. And you were supposed to receive the elements when you walked in. But I know that that doesn't always happen because some of you sneak by our ushers. So if you didn't happen to receive this, raise your hand right now. And one of our ushers that you tried to avoid on the way in, they will be happy to give it to you. See what happens. You get singled out that way. You know, you can raise your hand and they will give it to you and then hold on to it because we will be taking it together at the end of our service. And with that being said, you can now uh, grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 23 is where we are today. Uh, as we, as Drew said, we are closing out this uh, very brief series that we've been in through this incredible section of Scripture. And today we have what I uh, call a Chris Ward special. And that is because today we're going to spend our entire time just looking on one verse. I've been getting one verse today to look at. But don't you dare think that you're getting out any earlier because I only have one verse, okay? Because it is a very full verse. And so we have a full message ahead of us today. So you can turn to Psalm 23. And as you find yourself in Psalm 23... You know, this past week, uh, brothers and sisters, we, we did have um, another one of those uh, just horrific events happen in our nation. And I do, I do want to acknowledge that up front here. And I, I do want to say a word or two about that. In fact, I, I would like to invite you this Thursday is the first Thursday of June. And at 7 p.m. Uh, in the pavilion, we're going to have a time of prayer and we're going to be praying about this. And so uh, we would love for you to come if, if, if you can. Um, but, you know, this past Tuesday, we, we did have uh, just another um, horrific event happen. And this time it happened in um, one of the worst places that something like this can happen. Not that there's ever a good place that something like this can happen. But this time it happened in an elementary school. And as uh, I understand it, it happened in one single fourth grade classroom. Where 21 people, including uh, 19 children, lost their lives. And I don't know how you uh, found out about uh, all that happened. I, I found out in a little bit of an interesting way or more of an interesting timing um, I'd actually just finished the first draft of this message that I'm teaching here this week, and I'd literally hit save on, on my Word document, and then I took a quick break to go on the internet and catch up on the news, and immediately was confronted with the headlines of what had occurred. And as I began to take in all that, that happened, um, there was a moment where I thought to myself, uh, there's no way that I can preach the message that I am scheduled here to preach this weekend. I thought to myself, how in the world can I talk about the themes of Psalm 23, the goodness of God, the love of God, the shepherding care of our God, uh, a mere four days after so many young and defenseless children um, had just lost their lives. I mean, it, it almost seemed insensitive to me. And then I started to think about it, and I realized that, you know, this is not a challenge that I only face this weekend. In many ways, this is a challenge that we face every weekend these days. In fact, I, I, these days it doesn't seem like there's a, a weekend that we gather together that hasn't followed some sort of horrible event that has happened in our country. I mean, horrible events are happening, it seems, all over the place these days. And, and the worst part of all of it is it seems to, these things seem to be happening at an increasing rate. And in addition to all of that, in addition to all the, the horribleness that's going on in our world right now, I, I also know that every time I stand up here on this stage, uh, I address a group of people. Some of you are going through uh, pretty horrible things yourself in life. Some of you are uh, facing illnesses and sicknesses. Some of you are dealing with depression and anxiety and hopelessness. And, and some of you 
are uh, enduring through your own personal sort of evil. Some of you are on the receiving end of, 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 of abuse right now and, and hardship that, that most people don't even know about. I mean, there's, there's just a lot of evil. There's a lot of sadness. There's a lot of just plain wrong that, that is occurring in our world right now. And all this evil, all this sadness, all this wrong, it seems to challenge the, the opening line of this psalm that we're looking at. I mean, the, the Lord is my shepherd. Well, what kind of shepherd would allow these sorts of things to happen to so many of his sheep? How can God be a, a good shepherd, as, as, as this psalm talks about him? How can he be a good shepherd when, when so many of his sheep suffer so much? How do we understand that? Well, I want to let you know that I don't know if I necessarily have the most satisfactory answer to that question here today, and I want to acknowledge that. I don't know if there is an entirely satisfactory answer to that question. But I will say this. It is interesting to ponder that question in light of what we know about the original person who penned these words. It is interesting to ponder that question in light of the original author of Psalm 23. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, I mentioned briefly how Psalm 23 was written by one of the most famous people in our Bible, a man by the name of David. He was one of the first and indeed one of the greatest kings that the nation of Israel had ever had. And if you know anything about David, you know that David did not live a problem-free, carefree life here on this earth. I mean, there was a period of time that lasted about 10 years before he was king where David was literally being pursued by a deranged king who literally commissioned an entire army to try and find him and to kill him. I mean, for almost a decade of his life before he became king, David lived basically in caves fearing for his existence. And then after David became king, it wasn't like life was always smooth sailing, uh, because of a mistake he made in his life, David had one of the worst things happen to him that I think can happen, and that is that he had a child taken away from him. He lost a child. And then soon after that, he had a, a daughter who was sexually assaulted, actually by one of his sons. And then soon after that, he had another son who tried to betray him and tried to kill him, and this son himself was killed. I mean, David, David had a lot of difficult experiences in his life, and David alludes to those difficult experiences in this psalm. If you were here last week, you heard Matthew cover verses 4 and 5, where David hints at some of the difficulties he faced. In verse 5, for example, he talks about the enemies he had in this life. In verse 4, he talks about the dark valleys that he has had to travel through, the tough times that he has had to go through. I mean, David faced a life of difficulties. We might even say that David faced a life of tragedies. And yet even still, David calls God his shepherd. Even still, David is able to talk about the goodness and the love and the care of his God. How can that be? Well, I think at least part of the answer to that question is found for us in the very last line of this psalm. The last line of verse 6, the six we're, uh, verse we're taking a look at today. I, I want to begin today in the middle of verse 6. Just so you know, verse 6 has two parts to it. In the first part of it, David sort of summarizes everything he said in the psalm up until that point, And we will get there, but we'll get there in a little bit. But I want to begin in the middle of verse 6. Because starting in the middle of verse 6, David does something that he doesn't do any other place in the psalm. He talks about something that hasn't happened yet. He talks about the future. And this is what he says, middle of verse 6. He says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And if you're someone who likes to mark your Bibles, I'd encourage you to write this phrase next to verse 6, that statement right there. And this phrase is David's eternal mindset. David's eternal mindset, because that's what we're given here. You know what David is doing for us in verse 6? He's giving us the end result of all of this. He's given us the final destination in all of this. You see, one of the images that uh, appears a few times in Psalm 23, and if you don't pay attention, you, you may almost miss it. But one of the images that appears a few times in Psalm 23 is the image of a road. It's the image of, of a path that, 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 that we find ourselves on as we follow God as our shepherd in this life. You see it a couple of times. You see it in verse 3, for example, when David talks about the paths of righteousness or the right paths that he travels down. You see it in verse 4 when David talks about that path that goes through the darkest valley. You see, in many ways, this, this psalm is all about a journey. It's a psalm about a journey, the journey of life that God, as our shepherd, has us on. But that itself raises a question. You know, every journey has a, a final destination. Every path leads somewhere. So where is this journey leading? What is this path? Where does it end up? Well, David tells us in verse 6, it ends up in God's house. The, the journey that our shepherd has us on, David tells us is a journey that ultimately leads to our shepherd's house. And obviously, by talking about God's house here, what David is talking about is, is he's referring to heaven. He's referring to eternity. That's what the word forever at the end of verse 6 shows us here. So he's referring to that time when we have eternal fellowship, eternal communion with God himself. And I think more than anything, that's what enables David to, to hold on to, to cling to the goodness of God despite the difficulties and despite the hardships that he faced in this life. In other words, I think if we got the opportunity to ask David a question, and if we got the opportunity when David was alive to say something to, to David like this, hey David, you know, it's, it's obvious God hasn't spared you from the difficulties of this life. You've had your fair share. In fact, we might say you've even had more than your fair share of hardships. How can you still say that God is your shepherd? How can you still cling on to the goodness of God in spite of all those difficulties? I think at least part of the response that David would give us is, is well, it's because I, I look at life in its totality. And by its totality, I mean its totality. And what do I mean by that? Well, listen, I, I think if, if we ask David that question, I think, think at least part of David's answer to that question would include something like that illustration we've used a few times here. And this is the famous rope illustration that we got from Francis Chan. I have it, uh, uh, it with me here right now again. And for those of you who've never seen this illustration before, I want you to imagine this rope right here. I want you to imagine that it represents your life, your existence, according to the Bible, Okay. And if this rope, if it represents your life, if it represents your existence according to the Bible, then, then what do you think this red portion right here represents? Well, maybe some of you who have never seen this illustration before, you may think it represents, you know, your, your time in, in your mother's womb. Maybe it may represent your first year here on this earth, but that's not what it represents. If this rope represents your life according to the Bible, then you know what this red part right here represents? It represents the time you spend here on this earth. It represents the 70, 80, 90 years that we spend here on this earth. 
Now, some of you look at that and go, that doesn't make sense. But it does make sense because, you see, according to the Bible, every single one of us in this room, whether you realize it or not, we live forever. We live into eternity. Every single one of us, whether we believe in God or not, we are going to live forever. And I don't know if you know this, but forever is kind of a long time. And so when you compare the 60, 70, 80, 90 years that we spend here on this earth in relation to, to forever, I mean, it's... It's nothing. In fact, it's even less than this. It's it's absolutely nothing compared to eternity. And I think David knows that. And what the last line of this psalm shows us is that he lives his life in light of that. And that's how he clings on to the goodness of God despite the difficulties he's faced. You You see, I think if we were to ask David, David, you've been through difficulties. How can you still maintain God's goodness? I think David would say to us something like this. He would say, it's because I know that this life is not all that there is. He would say it's because I know that that this life here on this earth, it's the first note of a great symphony that God is writing. It's, It's the appetizer to the main course, the main event. In fact, it's not even the appetizer. It's that tic-tac that you find in your pocket as you're waiting to be seated. He says, I know that there is something far greater and far better that all of this is leading to. And it's when I look at things through that perspective, it's when I keep the final destination in mind, it's when I remember where my shepherd is leading me. Then I'm able to see God's care and concern for me no matter what. Because my time on this earth, as difficult as it may be, it's just nothing compared to what awaits me when I finally get to God's house. That's the eternal mindset that David had. And that's the mindset that I think all of us need to adopt. I remember years ago, uh, after a service, someone coming up to me, one of you coming up to me and asking me an interesting question. You said, Pastor Chris, you said, why doesn't the church talk about heaven anymore? And I remember being somewhat taken aback by that question. I said, what, what do you mean by that? And this person, whoever you were, you said this. You said, well, I grew up in the church. And when I was growing up in the church, it seemed like all the time I heard messages about eternity and heaven and the return of Jesus. And, and nowadays, it seems like all I hear about is messages about our time here on this earth. Why doesn't the church talk about heaven anymore? And I think there's something to be said about that statement. You know, I think I will say there was a time when the, when the church, it, it didn't focus enough on our time here on this earth. And what I mean by that is you had a whole generation of Christians that was so convinced that Jesus was returning tomorrow that they sort of gave up on this life. Because they thought, what, what's the point, right? Jesus is going to return any time, so why do I need to make a difference? And obviously, that's not right. That's not good, right? It's even if Jesus is returning tomorrow, we are called to make an impact, a difference for Christ here on this earth. And so obviously, we need to talk about our time here on this earth. But I wonder if maybe these days we've, we've sort of gone too far in that. And we're not talking enough these days about eternity, about what awaits us beyond this life. And by not talking enough about eternity, men and women, we are, we are leaving a huge hole in our faith. Because understand, it's not until we understand the, the next life, men and women, that we can ever make sense of this life. It's not until we understand what awaits us in eternity that we can ever make sense of, of our time here on this earth. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, well, let me explain. You see, there are a few things that an eternal mindset does for you. There's a few things, ways that it impacts you. For example, 
Having an eternal mindset, it, it helps you make sense of the injustice that we see in this world. Having an eternal mindset, it helps you make sense of the, the evil that we see around us. You know, as much as we might like to think that this world operates according to principles of justice, as much as we might like to think that the righteous in this life always prosper and the wicked in this life always suffer, you know that's not always the case. In fact, a lot of times that's not the case. The righteous do seem to suffer a bit on this earth. And the wicked do seem to prosper. Now, how can that be? Isn't our God a God of justice? Well, if our God is a God of justice, then how can he allow, how can he tolerate so much injustice here on this earth? That's what eternity is about. You see, eternity is God's great sorting house. Eternity is where God fixes the wrongs of this life. You know, there is a sense in which, and if you take my angels and demons class in the fall, you'll see this. There is a sense in which the Bible teaches us that Satan, our enemy, he does get his way a lot here on this earth. In fact, in the Bible, Satan is called the prince of the power of the air. He's actually called the God of this world. He's called the, the ruler of, the, or sorry, the God of this age. He's called the ruler of this world because Satan has so many people on his side. There is a sense in which he gets his way a lot in this world. And because because Satan loves injustice, we see a lot of injustice. Because Satan loves evil, we see a lot of evil. But don't you see, God's going to fix that in eternity. He's going to fix that in the next slide. I think, for example, that incident that happened at the Laguna Woods Church just a few weeks ago. I mean, talk about injustice, right? Here you had a guy who was trying to take people's lives, and here you had a guy who was trying to save people's lives, and both of them end up, ended up with the same earthly fate. They both lost their lives. Where's the justice in that? I'll tell you where it is. It's being accomplished right now. Because that guy who tried to take people's lives, right now he is facing the justice of God, the eternal justice of God. He's being punished for what he did. And that doctor who tried to save people's lives, he's being rewarded for what he did. You see, the so-called problem of evil that keeps so many people away from believing in God and, and believing in the Christian faith, that is a problem that's only limited to this lifetime. That's a problem that gets fixed in eternity. And that's one thing that having an eternal mindset does for us. It, it helps us make sense of, of, of the wickedness and the evil and the injustice that we see in the world around us. But there's another thing that eternal mindset does for us as well. It, it helps give us a hope no matter what difficulties we experience. It helps give us a, have a hope despite the hardships that we face here on this earth. You know, one of the things I've been accused of before in my preaching as I've been accused of being too pessimistic before. In fact, I had someone come up to me about a year ago and they said, Chris, you are too pessimistic in your preaching. You're not hopeful enough, Chris. You, you must be a pessimist. And I want to set the record straight, brothers and sisters. I am not a pessimist, okay? I am an optimist. In fact, I will go on record as saying I am probably one of the most optimistic and hopeful people I have ever met before, okay? You're laughing, but I am being very sincere here. I am a very optimistic and hopeful person. But, and this is key, you have to realize where my optimism lies. Yes, I will be honest with you. When it comes to this world, I am not very optimistic. I don't like to call myself pessimistic. I'd rather call myself realistic, okay? And the reason why I'm not very optimistic when it comes to this world is because I've, I've read the end of the story. In fact, I've taught on the end of the story before. 
And I know what's in store for this world. If, if you took my Revelation class a couple of years ago, you saw me talk about it. There is a time, the Bible says, that it's coming here to this earth. Jesus, in fact, he himself talks about it. A time known as the Great Tribulation, which is going to be a time unlike anything we've ever seen here on this earth. And contrary to what some of you have been taught before, I don't believe we Christians are taken out of this world before that happens. I believe we have to endure through much of that. And, and this time, as it's described in the Bible, I mean, it is. It's unlike anything we've ever seen before. There's going to be persecution and violence and evil to a level we have not yet seen. And we Christians, we're going to be the target of that. We're going to be the recipients of that. And we need to be prepared, men and women, because this may happen in our lifetime. It may happen while we're still alive. That's why I've gotten in trouble for this before, but I do sort of smile at all the people, especially the Christians these days who are moving out of California to seek out friendlier skies and friendlier states. And I hope these Christians realize that all they're doing is trying to unsuccessfully run out the clock. And what I mean by that is, believe it or not, there is coming a day, men and women, when even Nashville, when even Idaho will not be safe for us Christians. In fact, if I read the Bible correctly, Matthew 24, 16, Jesus seems to suggest that during the Great Tribulation, the only place that's going to be safe for us are the mountaintops. Flee to the mountains, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 16. You know what that means? During the Great Tribulation, California is actually a better place to be than Nashville and Idaho. Why? They don't have any mountains in Nashville and Idaho. This is the place that we want to be, okay? You need to stay here. No, but in all seriousness, yeah, I'm, I'm not all that optimistic about this world, but I'm still an optimist. Why? Because I've read the end of the story. And I know what awaits us beyond that tough time. And you can't help but read what the Bible says about what awaits us beyond that tough time. And you can't help but be hopeful. In fact, listen to this. We'll put it on the screen. Great passage, famous passage, Revelation 21, 1 through 4. The Apostle John is given a vision of the end of time, and he says this. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Sorry for those of you who like to surf. Verse 2, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. With them and be their God. And what does that verse sound like? God's dwelling place among his people? Does that sound like Psalm 23, 6? We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever? That's what John is talking about there. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That's where my optimism lies. And that is what is in store for every single one of us who have put our faith in Jesus. That's where our shepherd is leading us. It's like that quote that I read at almost every funeral that I do. It's a quote by C.S. Lewis, and he writes it in the very last page of the Chronicles of Narnia series, that famous children's series that begins with the book The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And in case you don't know, that series is, is kind of like an allegory for the Christian faith. And in the very last page of that series, C.S. Lewis gives the, 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 the description of the Christian view of heaven. And listen to what he says. We'll put it on the screen. He says, for us, this is the end of the story. 
But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on in forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. And I love that last line. Now they, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, and in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's what we have to look forward to. Every moment, every second in heaven is going to be better than the one that came before it. And that's going to last for eternity. And that's why we can have a hope no matter what goes on around us. And it is knowing that this day is in the future. It is knowing that this day is coming. That's that's what gives us something else in this life. And that is that it gives us a new perspective that we can take towards pain. An eternal mindset helps us adopt a new perspective towards pain. You know, go back to the event that happened this past Tuesday. Let me ask you, the person who doesn't believe in God, the person who doesn't believe in a life beyond this one, what in the world can they say to someone who lost someone they loved this past week? What can they say? They can't say anything. Because there's nothing that can be said. But the only thing that they can say, if, if, if they're honest with themselves, is sorry, that's just the way the world works sometimes. And there's no purpose for it. There's no reason for it. There's no hope for it. And by the way, one day, you're going to die too, and then that's just going to be the end. I mean, that's all you can say if this life is all that there is. There's no purpose in anything. There's especially no purpose in pain and suffering. It's like the lyrics of that famous Monty Python song. For life is quite absurd and death's the final word. You must always face the curtain with a bow. Forget about your sin. Give the audience a grin. Enjoy it. It's your last chance anyhow. That's all that there is if this life is all that there is. You live an absurd life and then you die. But you know what? We believe differently. Not only does our faith allow us to give hope to those who lost someone this past week, But our faith even also allows us to tell them that the sufferings that they are going through, they have purpose. Because they can and they will be used by God. This is what Paul makes clear in a very great passage in Scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. We'll put this on the screen. Paul writes this, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And what does verse 17 sound like? It sounds like this rope right here. Where do we fix our eyes? Not on this part right here, because this is temporary. We fix our eyes on this part right here. We fix our eyes on what is eternal. But the key verse here is really verse 17, where Paul says this. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You know what Paul is saying here? He is saying there is purpose in our pain. There is purpose in our pain. Even our pain is not wasted by God. The the rest of the Bible makes it clear. Our pain on this earth, it is used by God to make us more like Jesus. And the more we are like Jesus on earth, the better eternity is going to be because the more rewards we'll receive from God for enduring and persevering. And so even our pain has purpose in view of eternity. Nothing is wasted with God. And that's what an eternal mindset gives you. So what does that mean 
It means this. It means that we have to stop looking at life just in terms of this right here. Matthew touched upon this last week. Our death, men and women, is not the end of us. You know what our death is? It's a graduation. We're in graduation season right now, right? That's how we have to think about life, and that's how we have to think about death. Right now, we're in a time of training. Right now, we're in school. But there is coming a day when every single one of us who have put our faith in Jesus, we are going to graduate. We're going to get our diploma. And then we'll see what God really has for us. That's what it's about. And until that day comes, what does that mean for our time here on this earth? Does it mean that it's nothing but difficulty? Does it mean that it's nothing but just toil and trouble until we reach that state? No, not at all. And that's what uh, uh, David makes clear at the beginning of verse 6. You see, even though David makes it clear in this psalm that there are difficulties in this life, and even though David makes it clear in this psalm that eternity, heaven, is our true home, David also makes it clear that while we journey here in this life, that there is something that God promises us. And what does he promise us? Beginning of verse 6, he says this. He says, Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. He says, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And and I remember the first time that that statement really began to make sense for me. It was actually just a few years ago. And I was having lunch with a a retired pastor. In fact, some of you know this pastor. His name was Verl Lindley. He was the pastor of Granada Heights Friends Church for decades. And when I met with him, he was just a few years away himself from, from graduating, a few years away from himself from dwelling in God's house forever. And so I was talking to him about his experience as a, as a pastor, and he was telling stories with me. And some of those stories were tough and painful experiences, but most of those stories were really, really good and positive experiences. And at the end of our conversation, as he told me, finished telling me these stories, I said to Verl something like this. I said, Verl... It really sounds like you've lived a very full life. And without skipping a beat, Verl said to me this. He said, yes. He said, surely goodness and love have followed me all the days of my life. He said, surely goodness and love have followed me all the days of my life. And that's what David is saying here. Despite the difficulties, despite the hardships, David says, I've I've seen God's goodness. I've seen God's love. Everywhere I go, those things have followed me. And in fact, most scholars believe that follow is too weak a translation of the original Hebrew that David uses here, that the better translation should be something like they've pursued me, they've they've run after me. And what David is saying here is maybe even in seasons where he hasn't been looking for it, they've been there. Like two sheepdog, God's goodness and God's love have always been nipping at his heels. They have never left him. And you know what? They've never left me either. And I hope that you can say the same thing about your life. The question is, will we open our eyes to see that? And will we open our eyes to recognize that? You know, I do not want to minimize in any way, shape, or form the difficulties of this life. And the hardships that some of you are experiencing, they are very, very real. And I want to acknowledge that. But you know what? Evidences of God's goodness and evidences of God's love, they are just as real. 
The problem is, so often, we, we spend so much time in our life focusing on the wrong in our life and in our world that we fail to see the ways that God's goodness and God's love are constantly following after us. We, we spend so much time focusing on the bad that we fail to recognize the good. That's why this week, uh, there's an exercise that I want you to do, okay? And what I want you to do is, is this week, I, I want you to get out every single day this week a, a pen and a paper or maybe open up a new note on your cell phone. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down five things that you are thankful for, okay? I want you to write down five ways that you see God's goodness and love pursuing you right in that moment. It can be five very simple things, like something as simple as it's a beautiful day and it's a warm day and the sun is shining. This is going to be a really nice week. It can be five really big things, whatever you're, you're facing here in this life. But I want you to write down five ways that you see God's goodness and his love pursuing you right now. And then after you write that down, before you do anything else, I want you to spend some time praying about that. I want you to thank God for that. I want you to praise God for that. And I want you to worship God for that. And I want you to thank him for his goodness and his love. And I want you to do that every day this week. And not just every day this week. I want you to do that every single day in the month of June. I want you to do it every single day for the rest of the year. And if you do that, it's not going to make the tough things go away. Of course not. But hopefully it will help us to retrain our mind to focus on the goodness of God. And the ways that that has appeared in our life. And in fact, this is so important. That, that I'm going to give you some time to do this right now as we speak. We're going to head right now into a little moment of reflection, okay? And during this time, you may want to get out a pen and paper. You may want to get out your phone. But, but what I want you to do during this time is I want you to, to think about five ways that you see God's goodness and love right now in your life. And I want you to write these down or remember these in some way. And then after you do that, I just want you to spend a moment just thanking and praising God for that. And then after that, I'll come back up and, and we'll close our time here together. But right now, what, where do you see God's goodness and God's love in your life right now? Spend some time reflecting on that.